This is Space Time Series 24, Episode 116, for broadcast on the 13th of October 2021. Coming up on Space Time, NASA selects four new deep space missions, the first planet found to orbit three stars, and another space first as a Russian actress and director arrive aboard the International Space Station to film scenes for a motion picture. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA has selected four new deep space missions for further development as part of its discovery program to explore the solar system. The Deep Atmosphere Venus Investigation of Noble Gases Chemistry and Imaging, or Da Vinci Plus mission, will analyze Venus's atmosphere to understand how it formed and evolved and determine whether Venus ever had an ocean. Da Vinci Plus will plunge through Venus's crushingly thick, hot and poisonous atmosphere to precisely measure its composition all the way down to the surface. The instruments will be encapsulated in a purposely built descent sphere in order to protect them from Venus's intense environment, where temperatures are hot enough to melt lead and surface air pressure is 99 times greater than that on Earth. Oh, and that plus and Da Vinci plus? Well, that refers to the imaging component of the mission, which includes cameras on both the descent sphere and the orbiter designed to map surface geology. The last US-led in-situ mission to Venus was back in 1978, the results of Da Vinci Plus have the potential to reshape science's understanding of terrestrial planet formation. The Venus Emissivity Radio Science In-Star Topography and Spectroscopy Mission, or VERITAS, will map Venus's surface to determine the planet's geologic history in order to understand why Venus has developed so differently compared to the Earth. After all, both planets are similar in size. They both formed in the same part of the solar system, out of the same materials, and under similar conditions. Yet the two planets have turned out so very different. Veritas will orbit Venus using a synthetic aperture radar. It'll chart surface elevations over the entire planet, create three-dimensional reconstructions of the topography, and confirm whether processes such as plate tectonics and volcanism are still active on Venus. Veritas would also map infrared emissions from the surface in order to determine Venus's geology, which is still largely unknown. The Io Volcano Observer mission would explore Jupiter's volcanic moon Io to learn how tidal forces shape planetary bodies. Io is the most volcanically active body in the solar system, and it's heated by the constant crushing and pulling of Jupiter's gravity as it orbits around the gas giant. But little is known about Io's specific characteristics, such as whether a magma ocean exists in its interior. Using close-in flybys, the probe will assess how magma is generated and erupts on Io. The mission's results could revolutionise science's understanding of the formation and evolution of rocky terrestrial bodies, as well as the icy ocean worlds in the outer solar system. And finally, there's the Trident mission. Triton would explore Neptune's fascinating moon Triton, which is thought to be a captured copper belt object. Triton is a unique and highly active icy world, where cryovolcanoes erupt plumes high into the atmosphere. 
NASA's Voyager 2 mission showed that Triton has active resurfacing, generating one of the youngest surfaces in the solar system. Triton also has an ionosphere that can create organic snow, and there's the potential for an interior ocean. Triton principal investigator Louise Proctor from the Lunar and Planetary Institute says the mission would use a single flyby to map Triton, characterize active processes, and determine whether a predicted subsurface ocean really exists. Uh, we are proposing a bold mission to Neptune's moon Triton. Uh, we want to explore how icy worlds evolve and what processes are active on them today. Uh, in particular, we want to know if Triton has an ocean. Uh, can a captured body from the Kuiper Belt, which is how it originated, um, form an ocean and can that ocean persist until today? We also want to investigate Triton's volcanic and tectonic processes and understand how they lead to what we think is one of the youngest surfaces uh, of anybody in the solar system. Uh, one of those processes leads to plumes, these very large and distinctive plumes. Uh, we want to understand whether they are the result of icy volcanoes or are they the result of uh, sunlight uh, driving explosions in nitrogen ice. It's very, very cool. Uh, we also are going to fly through um, Triton's ionosphere to understand why it is one of the most intense in the whole solar system of any moons, uh, 10 times more intense than any other moons. Um, all of these investigations will lead us uh, to understand whether Triton may be a habitable world, one of the most fundamental questions in all of solar system science. That's Triton principal investigator Louise Proctor from the Lunar and Planetary Institute. And this is space-time, still to come. The first planet found to be orbiting three stars. And lights, camera, action. Another space first, as a Russian actress and director arrive aboard the International Space Station to film scenes for a motion picture. All that and more still to come on space-time. Astronomers think they may have discovered a planet that's orbiting three stars. The triple star system is called GW Orionis. It's located some 1,312 light years away in the constellation Orion. The findings, reported in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society, are based on an analysis of three strange dust rings discovered in the system in observations using ALMA, the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array Radio Telescope in Chile. The system consists of two primary stars, GW Orionis A and B, which are orbiting each other in a binary system about one astronomical unit apart. An astronomical unit is the average distance between the Earth and the Sun, which is about 150 million kilometres or 8.3 light minutes. The system's third star, GW Orionis C, is orbiting the other pair at about eight times further out. Three-star systems are common, Alpha Centauri, the nearest star system to our own, is also a three-star system. The study's lead author, Jeremy Smallwood from the University of Nevada, says the GW Orionis star system is only about a million years old, and it includes a misaligned circumtriple protoplanetary disk. Smallwood and colleagues identified a substantial yet puzzling gap at about 100 astronomical units out, and misalignments between each of the rings. The authors initially thought the gap might have been caused by gravitational torque between the three stars. 
Trouble is, after developing a detailed computer model of the system, they found that the best fit explanation for the gap in the disk actually involved the presence of one or more large gas planets. Smallwood says while most stars are in multiple systems, this may well be the first to have a planet orbiting three stars. He says the discovery is exciting because it makes the theory of planetary formation extremely robust. In fact, it could mean that planetary formation is far more active than scientists ever thought. This is space time. Still to come. It's lights, camera, action as a Russian actress and director arrive aboard the International Space Station to film scenes for a Russian motion picture. And later in the science report, a new study warns that the Delta variant of COVID-19 appears to be increasing the risk of death by 133%. All that and more still to come on Space Time. A Russian actress and director have arrived aboard the International Space Station to film scenes for a motion picture. The Soyuz MS-19 spacecraft had to be specially modified for the mission for single-person operation as only the spacecraft commander was a qualified Roscosmos cosmonaut. The spacecraft successfully docked to the space station's Razvet module following a Fast 2 orbit rendezvous flight profile. The mission had launched just three hours earlier from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in the Central Asian Republic of Kazakhstan aboard a Soyuz 21A rocket. At the time of launch, the International Space Station will be flying over southwestern Kazakhstan and will fly directly over Baikonur some 33 seconds after launch, ultimately leapfrog, leapfrogging ahead of Soyuz during its trajectory. At the time of third stage shutdown and spacecraft separation, eight minutes and 45 seconds after launch, the Soyuz will be some 1,200 miles behind the International Space Station, and the chase will be on, launching into a very narrow 14.6 degree phase angle. Think of it uh, as uh, moving on to a very narrow lane on a highway to permit a two orbit rendezvous and just over three hours between launch and docking to the International Space Station. One minute readiness is announced. Everything is according to the schedule. This is S31, copy all. Uh, everything is put on board. We are ready for launch. Soyuz Commander Anton Shkaplerov uh, reporting back to the blockhouse in Baikonur that the crew is ready to fly. Onboard systems will soon be switched to onboard control. Cockpit displays have been activated. The crew members will close their helmet visors, putting them on suit oxygen. Nitrogen perch. And the fuel lines and other elements of the rocket engines are being purged with nitrogen that fireproofs the engines by removing vapors of fuel and oxidizer. Propellant drain back will occur that uh, will allow uh, the Soyuz 2.1A booster to have the right amount of fuel for its first stage performance and booster propellant tanks will be pressurized. The uh, purging of the fuel lines now complete. The uh, ground propellant feed will be terminated moments from now. Booster propellant tank pressurization initiated. The ground propellant feed now has been terminated. The Soyuz about to go on internal power. Vehicle to internal power, separation of first umbilical tower from booster. Ground propellant feed terminated. And the first umbilical now retracting. T minus 19 seconds. 
the second umbilical now retracting. This initiates the auto sequence start for engine ignition. Second umbilical tower separates. Engine turbo pump set flight. Engine ignition, turbo pumps coming up to flight speed and liftoff. Liftoff of Soyuz MS-19 with an actress and her producer beginning a journey to the International Space Station. and your program are in. Good first stage performance. 33 seconds into the flight, the International Space Station now flying directly over the Baikonur Cosmodrome. Soyuz booster arcing out to the northeast to an orbit 51.6 degrees inclined to the equator. seconds into the flight. The pressure in the chambers is nominal. One minute, four seconds into the flight, everything looking good. Now passing through maximum dynamic pressure on the vehicle. The crew is feeling well. Everything is good on board. 70 seconds into the flight, the flight is nominal. So we are feeling a little bit of vibration and uh, G-loads are also uh, felt. The first and second stage thrusters are firing nominally. I'm standing by for first stage separation. And first stage separation confirmed. 762 is the pressure in the thermal control loop uh, copy nominal. This Stabilization. Good vehicle stability reported from the blockhouse in Baikonur. The Soyuz 29 miles in altitude, 35 miles downrange from the Baikonur Cosmodrome, traveling almost 5,000 miles an hour. Vehicle stable, good motion control parameters as we pass the three-minute mark into the flight. Second stage shutdown uh, will come at the four-minute, 37-second mark into the flight. All the reports from the blockhouse in Baikonur are excellent performance by the Soyuz. Four and a half minutes into the flight, standing by for second stage shutdown. And we have second stage separation. The Soyuz traveling almost 10,000 miles an hour, 97 miles in altitude, 287 miles downrange from Baikonur. Third stage uh, performance reported to be normal as we hit the 5 minute 46 second mark into the flight. Three minutes of powered flight remaining. Roll pigeon, your are nominal. Third stage performance continues uh, to be excellent. Your pigeon roll, all reported to be nominal at the seven minute, 15 second mark into the flight. About a minute and a half of powered flight remaining. Soyuz continues to fly straight as an arrow, everything in good shape. Eight and a half minutes into the flight, about 15 seconds away from third stage shutdown and spacecraft separation. Get ready to for separation. And third stage shutdown is confirmed and spacecraft separation. Confirm third stage separate. Next step will be the uh, deployment of the uh, solar arrays unfurling. And we now have confirmation of the uh, deployment of the solar arrays and the navigational antennas as planned. 
We copy, and good day to you. We are ready to listen to your report about how you're feeling, guys. Moscow, this is Australia 1. We're feeling great. Everything's working nominally. So it was a uh, flawless ascent to orbit for the Soyuz MS-19. Everything went uh, by the book. Liftoff occurring on time at 3.55 and 2 seconds a.m. Central Time, which was 1.55 p.m. at the launch site of the Baikonur Cosmodrome. Eight minutes and 46 seconds later, third stage shutdown on the Soyuz 2.1A booster and Soyuz separation from the third stage with the solar rays and navigational antennas having been deployed. The chase is on. A quick two-orbit rendezvous upcoming for Anton Shkaplerov, Klim Shapenko, and Yulia Parasild. The flight marks the first time a feature film's actually been partly shot in space rather than simply using special effects or file footage. The mission, according to the Russian Federal Space Agency Roscosmos, is an experiment to see if two ordinary people can be prepared for spaceflight in just three to four months. But it's received lots of opposition from both the scientific and aerospace communities, mainly because it's removed trained cosmonauts from their flights. Others see it as a misuse of public money, and there are even claims that it's using the station's resources for non-scientific purposes, which under Russian law is illegal. No word about all the other space tourists the Russians have flown up to the space station. The crew will shoot about 35 to 40 minutes of film on the orbiting outpost during their 12-day stay. I wonder how they'll get the catering truck up there. And they won't be the last civilians the Russians are sending to the space station this year. Two Japanese space tourists will fly up on a Soyuz capsule in December. And just in case you missed our report last week on the ABC, 90-year-old actor William Shatner, known for his betrayal of James T. Kirk, captain of the Starship Enterprise in the Star Trek series, will fly into space this week aboard Blue Origin's new Shepard, boldly going where more and more of the rich and famous are going every day. This is Space Time. Time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study warns that the Delta variant of COVID-19 appears to increase the risk of death by 133% compared to the original strain. The findings reported in the Canadian Medical Association Journal also found that the chance of ICU admission was 235% higher. The study also looked at other variants of the coronavirus of concern and found that those who carry the mutation known as N501Y, which includes the alpha, beta and gamma strains, have around a 50% higher rate of hospitalization and death and an 89% higher rate of ICU admission. The study also found that people infected with variants of concern were significantly younger and less likely to have comorbidities than those with non-variants of concern infections. The World Health Organization says more than 8 million people have been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus, with some 4.8 million confirmed fatalities and over 240 million people infected since the deadly disease was first spread out of Wuhan, China. There are new warnings today that logging is decimating Australian sandalwood populations. Australian sandalwood is one of the most valuable timbers in the world. But 175 years of commercial harvesting has decreased the population of wild sandalwood by 90% in 
placing the tree on a path to extinction. A report in the Rangeland Journal shows the tree's already been eradicated throughout much of its range, especially across southwestern Australia and in South Australia, where only small populations persist. In Western Australia, the commercial sandalwood harvest quota has been reduced and a regeneration program implemented. But the authors say that neither measure is likely to alter the continued decline in wild sandalwood populations. Paleontologists have identified a new species of ceratopian dinosaur in New Mexico. A report in the journal Cretaceous Research claims Ceraceratops ternary had an ornate frill, short but massive brow horns, a one and a half metre long skull, and was about 4.6 metres in overall length. It was found in 72 million year old Lake Cretaceous rocks from the Hall Lake Formation. It predates its famous relative Triceratops by some 6 million years. New evidence presented to the United States Congress show how social media giants such as Facebook and Instagram are actively putting profits over the health of children and politics over free speech. The testimony came on the same day that Facebook and Instagram suffered a major global shutdown after bad code was accidentally uploaded to its servers. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Harov-Royt from ity.com. Well, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook Messenger and the Oculus VR were taken offline because something at Facebook, someone at Facebook, somehow took the Facebook web addresses out of the DNS, the domain name server system. They basically somehow disconnected themselves from that. What and so you idea. could not. <laughs> well, if, if Facebook is seen to be a, a company that spies on people, then for a few hours there was blessedly no spying because Facebook wasn't available. And the Facebook's own tech support people, they would have had to have gone to wherever their main server location was to reconnect it. They couldn't have connected over the internet because all the Facebook servers were down. And that uh, started at about 2.30 a.m. in Australian time and ended supposedly between 9 and 11 a.m. So it was a several-hour outage. Sometimes you see outages on Gmail or Google and you look at downdetector.com, which is a website that shows you outages. And some of these outages are just for a few minutes. Little outages happen all the time. You know, it's the equivalent of somebody tripping over the uh, power cable that <laughs> took down the entire data center. I bet a Schadenfreude was so good to see. Well, you know, there were also people wondering, was this a cyber attack? Yeah, I heard of were, were, yeah. were Facebook's systems you know, attacked, the DNS systems? Now, the consensus appears to be that, no, it wasn't a cyber attack. It was some internal error. Uh, so, yeah, somebody's... Uh, it was a bunch. whoopsie, not a cyber attack. <laughs> You know, it's not the first time Facebook has gone down and won't be the last. For those who are relying upon Facebook for their businesses, to communicate with people, to, you know, to make video calls on, on the WhatsApps and messengers, to you know, run a business, then it's important that you don't put all your eggs in the one basket, that you do have uh, alternate sources. There are alternates to Facebook. There are alternates to WhatsApp. You should be using a number of them to insulate yourself from these kind of outages. I use Tumblr. I'm very happy with Tumblr there. It's very reliable. It's very stable. Uh, you know, don't just rely upon Facebook. You can use something like Hootsuite, which they have a free version that works with three social networks and a paid version that works with many more. I hear that Facebook had to actually go on to Twitter in order to let their followers know that they were offline. Well, see, even, even Facebook doesn't have all of its eggs in one basket. They had to use a competing social network to get the message out because their own was down. They couldn't post their own Facebook page. <laughs> Facebook has apologized, but uh, this time for the outage. I mean, they've been on a 15-year apology tour 
perhaps longer, well, yes. apologising mainly for uh, besmirching people's privacy. Privacy issues, time, freedom of speech issues, destroying the mental stability of young girls. Where does it stop? Well, there was a huge whistleblower episode of 60 Minutes yes, in the I US yes. uh, where one of the former staff who was working in the civics an ethics department, which was disbanded. Actually, I thought they would, yes. She had a whole stack. She's captured a whole stack of information, which she's going to talk to the US Congress about. She's gone to the SEC. She's gone to 60 Minutes. And she's exposed the fact that, you know, Facebook's algorithms are basically clickbait generation machines. So, you know, they're they're more on the side of making sure clickbait has plenty of polarization and divisiveness, according to her. And uh, they're not acting in the public good, whatever the public good is. They're a business to make money. And, uh, you know, she was sort of shocked that one of her own relatives was radicalized, so she says, by something she saw on Facebook and she wanted to join the company. And when she did, she said, nobody really knows how what, what's going on at Facebook and how Facebook operates. So she's bravely decided to expose this all and uh, we'll be talking to the US Congress about it. I'm sure when people hear this podcast, they will have heard all about it. That's Alex Zaharov-Royd from ity.com. That's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStupidGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 